I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you're here in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is not as simple as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened up so many more doors. The show is called The The Deal. Deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It is Ryan here, and I have a question for you. What do you do when you win? Like, are you a fist pumper? A woohooer, a hand clapper, a high fiver. I kind of like the high five, but if you want to hone in on those winning moves, check out Chumba Casino. At chumbacasino.com, choose from hundreds of social casino style games for your chance to redeem serious cash prizes. There are new game releases weekly, plus free daily bonuses. So don't wait. Start having the most fun ever at chumbacasino.com. No purchase necessary. DTW, void, we're prohibited by law. See terms and conditions 18 plus. With the Lucky Land slots, you can get lucky just about anywhere. This is your captain speaking. Uh, We've got clear runway and the weather's fine, but we're just going to circle up here a while and uh, get lucky. No, no, nothing like that. It's just these cash prizes add up quick. So I suggest you sit back, keep your tray table upright, and start getting lucky. Play for free at LuckyLandslots.com. Are you feeling lucky? No purchase necessary. Void where prohibited by law. 18 plus terms and conditions apply. See website for details. Flashes it away through the covers for four, and England have won the match. Hello, welcome to the Analyst Inside Cricket. So, the Alpha England team has finally turned up at the World T20 with a very strong performance to beat New Zealand by. 20 runs. The game was in the balance for for quite a long time. I thought at the halfway stage, 179 was a good score and was probably a winning score. But the New Zealanders were really threatening. Well, between 10 and 14 overs, you thought they could do this. Glenn Phillips looking very dangerous. But just at the end there, those last four overs just tilted the balance back in England's favour. Actually, if you look at it uh, really in the blunt, it equation. England's death overs, those last four or five overs, they got about 50-odd runs, nearly 60 runs, and New Zealand were 36 for three in those last five overs. So that really was the turning point, I suppose. The wicket of Phillips, maybe the wicket of Jimmy Neesham, just a couple of uh, falters there in that, that final pursuit really cost New Zealand. Yeah, I thought 16th over, you was absolutely crucial. That was the one that Mark Wood bowled. One for three. So he conceded three runs and he took one wicket and he got rid of Jimmy Neesham, who whacked Ben Stokes for four first ball. And I thought, ah, here we go again. I, your memories of the World Cup final. Remember in the in the Super Over where he hoofed Joffre Archer into the uh, mound stand? And you thought, perhaps he's going to do it again because he's such a strong hitter. And if, if he does get onto a few, then he could cause some mayhem. But he, he holed out. And that, and that over felt as though it tipped the game uh, England's way, the, the 16th over, and then Chris Wokes followed it up as well the next over. He's conceded only five. So in those the 16th and 17th overs, England took two wickets and went for eight runs. When, like like you, I thought the game was really in the balance. I thought this was going to be a really tight finish. But England, in the end, won actually quite comfortably to not significantly improve their net, net run rate, but just bump it up a little bit and make it much harder for Australia come the weekend when they have to 
hammer Afghanistan and England, of course, still need to beat Sri Lanka and New Zealand have to win their final game as well. They're not in the uh, semi-finals yet, although you'd expect them uh, to make the semi-finals. They could have booked their place uh, this evening, but they were unable uh, to do so. So, so much to play for uh, this week. It's a, it's a pretty tight competition and it, it might well go down to net run rate. I think it almost certainly will. Yeah, the uh, top three teams in Group 1, all on five points. New Zealand with the best net run rate, 2.23. England now in second place on five points with a net run rate of 0.54. So a difference of 1.5 between New Zealand and England's run rate. And then Australia, minus 0.3. So a difference of 0.8 between England and Australia, which is significant. It's quite hard to make up that difference in one match at the end. Of course, the last two games for those two teams in second and third spot, England against Sri Lanka on Saturday and Australia against Afghanistan on Friday. So it is all to play for very tight there. I mean, this game, actually, another little difference, I suppose, between the sides was New Zealand dropped Dos Butler twice whereas England only missed one key chance. That was an absolute goober. It was Phillips uh, looking dangerous, dropped by Moen Alley at a short extra cover, an absolute dolly. But at least England didn't drop another chance and their fielding held firm. And again, I think that was pretty crucial. Yeah, I mean, Phillips had gone on to win the match. Then that moment where Moen... Uh, dropped him when he was on 15. So fairly early on off Rashid, you know, would have been, you, know, you look back and that would be an absolutely crucial moment in the game. What happens there, Yoz? How does a professional cricketer drop a catch like that? Now, I, we've talked about this before a bit when we were in Pakistan. You were saying, you know, England were in Pakistan. You, you're saying, oh yeah, the lights can be difficult and you can, can not pick up the ball. Even with the lights, you have to catch that one 50 times out of 50, don't you? I mean, it's 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 almost undroppable. I think actually others was on commentary at the time and he actually saw that's that's out before it, you know, and then astounded when the ball sort of hit him on the chest, hit Moen Ali on the chest and went to the ground. Was he just a bit too casual moving uh, towards the catch? You think, oh, this is a really straightforward catch, just pouch it, move on, yeah, wicket taken? Yeah, I, I think he was. And funnily enough, those little catches, which sort of skew off the outside edge and go up into the air, not very far, but they are spinning. And I I remember many of those catches off, particularly off left arm spinners, actually, where the ball is spinning from the bowl already. And it might have been a slower ball in the case of of this drop as well. And and then it's just the, the slice of the bat adds that little bit of extra spin. So the ball can just shift in uh, as it's descending slightly just slightly change angle and then it can spin out of your hand as well so I think you have to be extra careful with those catches I can just remember thinking when those kind of catches went up be really solid with your hands don't be too hard don't be electric hands where the ball bounces out but really kind of make sure of it be precise and Moen was very casual and actually he didn't lay a hand on it in the end it just sort of stole between his hand and his chest and straight to ground. It's embarrassing. And I think you can take those catches too lightly. Yeah, well, it looked like, it, oh, yeah, it's a straightforward catch and and it and it slipped out. And um, it must have been really hard for him because that partnership then developed. So he, he, it's very hard as a player, isn't it, to put it out of your mind because you you know that you potentially, potentially cost your team the game because Phillips was going really well. He's building that partnership with Williamson. Talking about Williamson, of course, look back at England's innings. It was Williamson who 
well, he, I, it, it was a strange one, wasn't it? Because Butler just assumed he was out court and, and, and walked off. In fact, he was right by the boundary rope uh, by the time it was on the big screen and it was replayed and it looked and it showed that the ball sort of bounced up and Williams, as he dived forward, sort of thought he caught it and then it seemed to bounce up. Butler was on his way and, and, and ready to go and then it was shown that it, you know, it wasn't a, a legal catch. I think Williamson thought he caught it and perhaps just occasionally you can think that has happened and then the, the evidence on, on replay shows it, it, it wasn't a clean uh, catch. One thing I noticed about that incident, Yoz, is that Butler, they did, they did actually cross and so England didn't get the run. So when Butler, when Butler was reprieved, in inverted commas, he was back on strike for the next ball. So I think England missed out on a run there as, as it was. It wasn't uh, that, that vital, but you, you never know in these, what, what felt as if it was going to be quite a tight game. Yeah, I, it's, it's interesting, those those catches, like one that I think Ravi Ashwin took one the other day, which he thought he'd cat caught cleanly, and it showed on the replay that it had bounced first. Mm. You don't always know. You're trying to scoop them up. Mm. And in this case with Williamson, it was a bit of a, a mess. It was a fumble out of his hands, and then he landed in the ground and kind of clasped the ball to his chest. He wouldn't have known in that split second when he hit the ground whether the ball also hit the ground. And actually, without the 38 cameras that you have now at these tournaments, I don't think we would have been any the wiser. But it just happened that there was one angle which showed the ball briefly touching the ground before he clasped it to his chest. So probably 10 years ago, maybe 20 years ago, that would definitely have been out because yeah, yeah. you just go with the fielder's gut feel. Uh, and obviously Williamson, the, the gent that he is, apologised afterwards, but he genuinely thought he'd caught it. But uh, I think it was on eight at the time, that's the note I made, and he was dropped on 40. And that was a catch, it was a skimmer out towards deep mid-wicket, and that cost New Zealand quite a few as well. Butler, yeah, 40, went on to make uh, 73. Uh, back to something like his best, but those, but he did give two chances, and you know if you take yeah. them, then you know, Butler's snuffed out early or snuffed out in inverted commas in mid innings, isn't he? And England perhaps don't get the the one seven nine that that felt like it was quite a, a challenging total. I made it the, th the third equal highest score in a T Twenty international at the Gabba, albeit in a relatively small sample of of ten matches, but yeah. Only two teams have scored more than England. So it, it felt like a decent score at the, at the halfway stage. Yeah, and I think that Butler has that extra dimension to his batting that he's able to... But there's two things, really. One is, even when the bowlers are going to, say, Yorkers, he can still manage to get it to the boundary because he's got ridiculously fast wrists and ability to kind of almost topspin the ball, uh, even though it's, it's almost jamming the ball right into the block hole and he can't really get any leverage and the other thing is he's got this incredible range as well so he can make use of any boundary or shape of ground he can hit it to both sides he can do the reverse hits and ramps and so on and also hit it cleanly down the ground and it's that range it's that repertoire which makes him so valuable and gives that that extra 20 run bonus to England in this case funny shaped Field, really, wasn't it, with the pitch rather to one side, so a sort of lopsided boundary, short on one side and very big on the other. And actually, it was interesting watching the way England manipulated that with the bowlers as well, having Sam Curran 
bowling with the short leg side boundary to the right-handers with his left arm angle going across outside off, making it harder for the, the, the right-handers to, to access that short leg side boundary. But the thing about Butler is you, you, you can't really protect a boundary because he's so good at hitting it wherever he wants, really. And uh, he did that towards... I mean, there was one shot, wasn't it, where there was a slower ball from, I think it was Trent Bolt, sort of really a short, almost a slower bouncer outside off stump trying to protect that short leg side boundary and he he swatted it over the back back over the bowler's head for six i mean just a ridiculously good shot amazing the the skill the power the range which just gives england that extra 20 run benefit really yeah he was he was somewhere near his his best today in, in as he said afterwards in not on not the most sort of perfect gabba pitch there was just enough grab in it i think to make it, you know, not just a, you know, a run fest and you know, whack through the line and you know, score plentifully. It, it, you did have to work quite hard for for your runs, it, and it made it an, an interesting game as a result. It wasn't just a bowls run up and get whacked into the stands. One of those uh, sort of pitches. That's why England did well to get up to one seven nine. And you're you're right, yours. I mean, that shot. That's all, it was like a baseball shot, wasn't it? Over long off, I mean, remarkable sort of club uh, back over the the bowler's head or just to the left of the bowl and there was also another one a short ball where he it's like a sort of tennis smash where he got it through wide uh, long on so yeah I'm good probably good for him as well you know if, if you're the he was the player of the match and if you're under pressure as a team it, as a captain if you produce then you know that it, it's, it's inevitable that it's going to lift you you and the team as well, isn't it? It's, it just asserts your authority uh, within the side. If you're struggling, your team are winning. You, you, you must, you know, you're fretting the whole time. Um, unless you, you know, he's very experienced now. He's seen a lot of international cricket. In fact, it was his what was it, his 100th T20. And and he just he's just gone to the top of the list yeah. of England T20 run scorers as well. He overtook Owen Morgan in this innings, and of course. When you're batting well, often it feeds into the other parts of your game. He took a brilliant catch down the leg side early on as well to get rid of Devon Conway. Again, that's sort of stuck in the fingertips yeah. another day. It might have escaped and gone to the boundary for four. All those tiny little things can, can make such a difference. England got three, didn't they, off the last ball. David Milan had to come in and face literally the last ball of the innings. And he managed to manoeuvre it out to long on. And then there was a bit of a fumble and they managed to come back for three. All those little things can just make... A, 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 when, when these games are so close, and I, I suppose actually in the end, 20 runs is quite a big margin, isn't it? It could easily have been six or seven run difference. And it's those little things at the end of an innings that can, can be all the difference. Yeah, absolutely. I mean, it, it felt like a game that was going to go right to the, the end, you know, with a few needed off the last ball or whatever you know you're right a single figure uh, winning margin it was actually quite surprising i think to seeing them win by uh, 20 they took 16 off the last over when they were batting i know they had a well they were they were five down uh, going into the last over there was a six wasn't there current hit a six and you're right the, the three off the last ball just those little things 16 off the last over uh, new zealand 36 for three off the last uh, five in their innings. One feature of the, the game today, and you, you, when you think of the Gabba, you don't always think of spin, do you, Yoz? But the ball did turn a bit today, and the, the New Zealand spinners bowled eight overs for 48. Um, Sodi was very tidy, and, and Santno, and he's very sort of, he's got a very peculiar mm. sort of method, hasn't he? Or idiosyncratic method, um, Mitchell Santner, but he was tidy as well. And then Moen bowled the first over of the innings. 
which actually played into this idea that England were actually quite flexible today, flexible with their bowling formations, flexible with their batting. Do you think Moeing could have bowled a bit more? It's, it's funny, isn't it? You know, he, he got the ball to, he did get the ball to really spin, but they didn't trust him to, to bowl against the right-handers. I think sometimes they can become almost too obsessed about these so-called match-ups uh, or bad match-ups in that Moeing bowling to the right-handers was liable to be slogged over deep mid-wicket. Obviously, he could have bowled to with the big leg side yeah. boundary, but there's also a fairly short straight boundary. So you'd imagine the batsman would try and get down the pitch and hit him straight. But having said that, there was enough spin. If you can, if you can spin it. Well, that's right. Yeah. There was enough spin there to induce the mishits. So it's one of those gambles, is it? Do you, do you, do you go with that possible risk... But it could have a reward, or do you go for your bankers and and you just go with you know a, a couple more overs of Stokes or um, another over of Wokes or something where you can you can kind of control it. I mean Wokes that was it the seventeenth over, uh, yeah, where he bowled a lot of cutters with the deep leg side boundary, but short and into the pitch, rising up above the waist, quite hard to hit those with no pace on the ball for six with lots of protection as well on the leg side. If you have a spinner bowling, even earlier in the innings, with that big leg side boundary but a short straight boundary, there is perhaps more of a risk than a seamer. Yeah. You could see why they don't do it. And you know, Livingston actually bowled three O's, but of course he can bowl off breaks and he can bowl leg breaks as well. And also he's spinning it away yeah. from the right-handers. Yeah, with his leg breaks. Uh, and, yeah. which, which I said is, is generally accepted, that that is harder to get away over the leg side than... Uh, an off spinner where you're sort of hitting with the spin, uh, even if it is a big boundary on that side. One person we haven't mentioned uh, is Alex Hales, who really got the innings going today and, and but gave Butler the opportunity to to sit in and, and, and find his timing. I thought Hales did really well. He got a, a, an early streaky boundary off Trent Bolt. But after that, he sort of sized up his options and he looked to play the pull shot if it was slightly short, but also make room and flay the, the seam bowlers over the offside. And I thought he, he, he got the innings got off to an excellent start, which really took the pressure off Butler, actually. Yeah, it was probably the innings he needed as well. Phil, Phil Salt, who was good in Pakistan when he had his opportunity, perhaps uh, putting some pressure on him. Although, you know, if England had lost today, then that would have been it, wouldn't it, really? They, they wouldn't have qualified. They, you know, they're effectively out, out of the competition, probably not mathematically out, but, you know, our balance of probability, uh, you know, very, very uh, difficult uh, to qualify. And it, it is a bit like, uh, well... I say it's a bit like they face the same situation that they faced in the World Cup of 2019, where basically they they had to win four games in a row, didn't they? In India, uh, New Zealand, Australia, uh, New Zealand, and they, they they they're in exactly the same situation now, where they've got to win f four games in a row. They've got they've got to beat Sh Sri Lanka, and then if they do that, it's a se semi final, and then who knows, possibly a final as well. So. Then, I think. Do you, do you think when you when you get in that situation, you, you just know what you've got to do? It, it, perhaps it just concentrates the mind. I'm, it's that it's that famous phrase, isn't it? Shit or bust. Uh, which I, I mean, it seems like yeah. England. It is, isn't it? Really. I, I, I know it sounds a bit crude, but in a way, uh, somehow it, it provides clarity, doesn't it? And 
you're right to equate it with the 2019 World Cup. I don't know if you noticed, by the way, there was a trailer for I did see that, the, yeah, uh, was, yeah. the 2019 documentary that is coming out on Saturday. We'll have some some clips of that later in, in the week on this podcast. Uh, the documentary of England's 2019 World Cup triumph made by me, amongst others. Uh, and it, it's an exciting time, actually, to see that come out. But England, and, and one of the themes within it is how England dealt with that point of no return of the India match in the World Cup and knowing they had to win every game and confronting their fears of failure (laughs) and doing it very well. And maybe maybe this is the same sort of scenario. Well, yeah, they are. Well, they are in the same scenario. It's a question of whether they can produce the the victories that they need. I mean, the, the last... They do have the advantage of playing after Australia. So Australia play Friday... And so they say, we were, tr- we were trying to work out the arithmetic of it. So it, um, I saw Simon Wilde on Twitter, the, the Times uh, correspondent. He, he said before today that if England won, say, by 10 runs against New Zealand and then by 15 runs against Sri Lanka, then Australia would need to beat Afghanistan by something like 55 runs. Now, I don't know the veracity of that. And he did say that his his, his arithmetic isn't necessarily the best. But I, mean, I don't know whether that's uh, some sort of a guy. But, but basically... Australia are going to need a big win and then England are going to know what they need. It, it may be that when England play on Saturday against Sri Lanka, they only have to win or it may be they have to win if they were chasing inside 18 overs or they may need to restrict, you know, to, they need, may need to win by 25 runs or, or something like that or 10 runs or whatever. But they, they will have the advantage of knowing what they need to do. You, you go back to, I'm going to think about football World Cups, how after that match between Germany, West Germany and Austria in the 1982 World Cup, where their games were staggered. They knew what they had to do and they, they played out. Both sides not attacking and Algeria got knocked out of the World Cup. Then FIFA changed the regulations after that. That For those last games, teams have to play at the same time now in, in vital um, qualifying matches at, at, at big tournaments. And I wonder whether, and also leading into the tournaments as well to actually qualify, I wonder whether you know whether it's right that England have the advantage of knowing what they need to do. I mean, it's just it's, it's in this in this tournament, it's the luck of the draw. But you know, do you, do you need to have games that have been played at the same time? I suppose one of, one of the problems with it is you don't know, you don't quite know, uh, you know, what the scenario is going to be, and also you want to maximise your TV revenue, don't you? You want to play games at, at separate times. Well, that's that's the key. That's the key to it. Yeah, and of course, I actually don't like the fact that they're playing more than one game on the same pitch on the same night either uh, in this tournament. And they're doing that, I suppose, partly for commercial reasons again, because they know that if it's uh, two neutral teams and then two more neutral teams, there isn't going to be that much of a crowd Australia-wise, so they can use the supporters of different teams to kind of swell the crowd and make it more commercially viable on the day. So there were quite a few Sri Lankans who stayed uh, in the Gabba after their victory today uh, to to watch the uh, England-New Zealand game, which just swelled the crowd. Actually, it was a good crowd in the end. But I I don't like playing two games on a night on, on the same pitch because undoubtedly by the end, it's not quite as good as it was at the start of the day. Yeah, but you, you, yeah I, I mean, I, I think you know that played into England batting first, didn't it? I and mean, they wanted, and that, that also helps them in a way. I think in a big game sometimes takes the pressure off, you know, especially with their batting lineup. Get a big score, dominate the game, sort of take the opposition out. They didn't quite do that, but they did it uh, well enough. They got a big enough score to, uh, to do that. Um, 
why why does the pitch deteriorate that much? You, know, you play a test match over five days, or you you know you play a, a you know test match day starts at eleven o'clock. You don't say, oh, by by five thirty, this pitch is going to be you know, tricky to bat on, do you? In a, in a test match, is it is it all about pitch preparation that you don't actually put as much into a one day pitch? Why can't you? Why can't you? Why can't you prepare a, a one day pitch to last a whole I, day? I mean, you play a fifty. I, I mean, it's a good question. I, I suppose that what. One of the things that damages pitches, as much as it is is, is bowling and, and running up and bowling, is the batsman running up and down. And obviously they're supposed to keep off the, the main area. But what you do get is quite a lot of debris coming off the batsman's boots as they're running up and down the pitch. And occasionally they will stray into the area that they're not supposed to. I don't think umpires are as... Uh, vigilant about where bowlers are following through bowlers often running up the pitch to pick the ball up from an attempted run or uh, taking a throw from the boundary and and running up the pitch to, to stop the ball that kind of thing happens it's all quite frenetic and I think the pitch does get sort of scratched and slightly damaged in a 20 over game quite significantly uh, and if it's two 20 over games by the end of all that activity I think the pitch is it has suffered a bit. Yeah, I suppose you know over the course of two twenty matches as well, you're likely to have had about six hundred runs, and yeah, there is a bit more sort of frantic, frenetic activity around the the pitch area. That might might have something to do with it. Also, as well, in this case, they played on. It was the same pitch that was played on in the previous game, a previous day as well, wasn't it? Australia played on this surface, so it was actually the third game on this surface. Um, I remember once a, 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 there was a match in in Antigua, the Viv Richards ground, where they played not quite back-to-back one-day international. They played, say, one game on the Tuesday and then the same pitch was used on the Thursday. And the, the ground staff there were able to repair it and make it a re- even better surface, actually, on the Thursday than it, it was on the Tuesday. So it's possible to you know uh, fluff up a pitch. Uh, but, yeah, it, it felt like a good toss for England to win. And... I, I've, I've been saying to you a bit, I've said it to you this year, actually, I was in T20 uh, cricket. I think it was the South Africa game at Cardiff. I said, why didn't England bat first in this match? You know, they just smacked them in, in Bristol with a scoring over well over 200. Use that momentum, try to bat South Africa out of the game. And, of course, South Africa came back and, and won that, that match and then came back to, to win the series. I'm Alex Rodriguez. And I'm Jason Kelly. From Bloomberg, this is The Deal. Each week, you will hear us in conversation with business icons. This show will explore deal-making across sports, media, and entertainment. That is a harsh lesson in business. Sports is and not uh, as simple you know, I, as bringing a bunch of big names together. I didn't want to do another stomp you out speech. It opened so, up so many you know, more doors. The show is called The, the deal. deal. Listen to The Deal. Listen to The Deal on Spotify. It's Kaylee Cuoco for Priceline. Ready to go to your happy place for a happy price? Well, why didn't you say so? Just download the Priceline app right now and save up to 60% on hotels. So whether it's Cousin Kevin's Kazoo concert in Kansas City, go Kevin! Or Becky's Bachelorette Bash in Bermuda. You never have to miss a trip ever again. So download the Priceline app today. Your savings are waiting. Go to your happy place for a happy price. Go to your happy price. Priceline. Which leads us on to South Africa, 
uh, Yoz, who I think a, a few people just you just see a few people popping their heads above the parapet now, saying, "Well, I I quite fancy like South you. Africa to, <laughs> to." Well, I thought others have said it. I saw Nick Compton say it on Twitter the other day. I I said, but he said I said before the tournament, I think South Africa are a team to watch, and of course they they took down India um, mm. in a, in a, another exciting game. It felt like South Africa um, had a a decent amount of control towards the end they were struggling towards the start of their innings but they had a decent amount of control they looked, looked likely winners from quite a long way out but I mean that is I think a result and performance that has made everyone really sit up and take notice of South Africa's potential in, in this competition they really exploited the Perth pitch superbly didn't they uh, that that attack that ball I think there was a there was a slip catch off and rich Nokia and I think the, the catcher, Aidan Markham, was, was almost outside the 30-yard circle. He was literally halfway to the boundary. And the, the, the bounce that Lungi and Gidi was getting, as well, he took some early wickets uh, against India, was pretty impressive. I mean, I think India, they, they managed to kind of almost get through that game, didn't they? And um, Yadav, I thought, looked supreme with the bat at number four. He was the one guy that stood out and, and made, a I think, 70-odd and didn't seem to be flummoxed by the pace as much as some of the other batsmen. But, yeah, I mean, South Africa's attack is, is so potent. They have, they've got a bowler spinner, Maharaj, so that's an opportunity for, for batting teams to cash in. But the four faster bowlers are making them, as you say, a, more than a dark horse, a light horse for, for potentially winning this tournament. Yeah, Yadav 68 from 40 balls in India's 133 uh, for nine. And then South Africa got Parnell and Rabada and Ngidi and Nokia. And they used Maharaj and uh, actually used an over of, of Markram, who's quite a canny cricketer uh, on Sunday in that, that win, winning by uh, five wickets with uh, two balls to spare. But yeah, it, it always felt that they were in control. Uh, you, you look at their batting lineup; they've got some dangerous players, you know, Dukak and Russo and Marker and Miller. You know, Miller, you know, we saw it, we've seen him in the IPL, haven't we? Um, you know, it c- can be very, very dangerous. And he, his innings of 59 not out got uh, South Africa over the line. They've still got one or two hurdles to get over. I mean, they come up against Pakistan in one of their uh, remaining games. But at the moment, South Africa, they look as though they might be on course to, to win the group. And, you know, we're, we're punting ahead a bit because you don't quite know what's going to happen. But it, so it, it could be South Africa-England uh, semi-final. It could be South Africa-Australia semi-final. <laughs> South Africa-New Zealand semi-final. <laughs> uh, do you know, it's funny. I was thinking this, uh, at the start of the tournament, you know, we made our predictions. And I thought Australia would go well. Uh, and who knows, they still might go on uh, to win it. But they've got a bit of work to do. I think I wonder whether... I, I, perversely, I wonder whether it's going to be New Zealand South Africa finals or one of those finals that no one really sort of sees uh, from a distance. So that is is still on. So the the four semi finalists at the moment, in terms of the sort of the most likely, I would say South Africa, New Zealand, England, India. Does that does that feel about right? Yeah. Or can it, you see? Yeah, it does. Can you see Australia really taking down Afghanistan well, and really turning the screw on England? You can, but I I can't see England losing to Sri Lanka and oh, really? losing significantly <laughs> enough. To, well, uh, no, they, to, if they lose, that's it. No, no, but I mean, sorry, I can't see them not beating Sri Lanka emphatically enough to keep their net run rate ahead of Australia's. So, uh, I, I, yeah, I think those are definitely the most likely uh, four semi-finalists. And poor old Australia. Uh, I mean, we don't want to count them out yet, but 
that will be quite ignominious, wouldn't it? If it, they uh, having won the tournament last year, now and going out before the semi-finals at home, I don't know what it is. It, it just haven't quite clicked, have they? And it, it's 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 so it's such a tight tournament, isn't well, it? Well, they, they didn't one click in one thing. game, yours. They didn't click in one game against New, against New Zealand. Yeah. New Zealand took, took them down, and you you have a defeat like that. Mind you, England had that match against uh, Ireland. And you know, yeah, how can you win a tournament if you lose a game like that in, in that manner, in such an insipid fashion against what you know one of the sort of out, outside teams? But I mean, it it could happen that it might well be that there are you know as it proves stronger teams in England, stronger perhaps bowling teams than England. South Africa uh, might be one of them. But it's it's it, I think what the the problem for Australia it was the size of that defeat. If they'd lost to New Zealand by. 15 runs then they'd be right in this competition wouldn't they even even now they'd have a, an excellent chance of making the semi-finals and, and you know the pressure would be on England then because they've got the, I think England probably got the harder the harder game against Sri Lanka harder to really take down Sri Lanka hard than it would be for Australia to take down Afghanistan possibly by the way but you it, know it's fielding again which could be a decisive factor and that also elevated South Africa in that game against India I mean Rabada took two nerveless catches one right on the boundary where he just pouched it nonchalantly and then one diving forward as well running in and diving forward absolutely superb not half chances i suppose three quarter chances but he made them so securely and that that, that fielding you know dropping catches those cru- crucial misses which today luckily didn't cost england but perhaps did cost new zealand and uh, if you just grasp those half chances, Sam Curran's incredibly secure in the uh, in the outfield, isn't he? He's leading wicket taker as well. <laughs> He's having an amazing time at the moment. Yeah, it's a it's a good point about the catches and the nonchalance of the ease with which some players can take the ball despite the lights. You know, you you, you talked about the lights, but the lights didn't seem to bother Chris Jordan when he was on subbing for Liam Livingston. You know, they were never in doubt. One of them was quite a tricky catch, wasn't it? Just. But you saw it as Jordan. It was going towards. You saw it as Jordan. You thought, "Oh, that's out." He do, he just doesn't drop them, and he he patched it going round at, at long on. You know, vital uh, catch, but very safe. No no floodlights coming into play there, Yaz. Anyway, there's a lot to play for in in the last uh, few days of of qualifying. It, it, it's really shaping up. It's been a, you know, to some extent an unsatisfactory tournament because of the rain, but there've been some belting games and some some belting finishes. Um, I mean that that match the other day. I mean Zimbabwe. We haven't spoken about that. But Zimbabwe beating Pakistan. I mean it was utterly gripping cricket. It really was. So when when the players have actually got on the ground, there's been a, I think it's fair to say a lot to admire. Has Pommy Mbangwa got a, a new following with his very very kind of vehement kind of passionate commentary standing up? He's like um, remember do you remember Murray, Murray Walker, the the famous Formula One commentator. Uh, well, some of our listeners may be a bit too young to remember him, but he I once attended a Formula One race, actually, in the commentary box at somewhere like Monza. He he commentated the whole race, stood up, and, and just excitement kind of pouring out of his every pore. And uh, Pommy and Bang was exactly the same. And it's good to see Zimbabwe uh, rejuvenated like that and, and winning some games against the odds. So uh, well done to them. Lots to play for, as you say, in this tournament, Simon. And actually, I'm just going to give you a little tiny snippet to finish of uh, World Cup documentary, which is firstly on air on Saturday 
after the England-Sri Lanka game on Sky Cricket, but also it's on Sky Documentaries over the next few days as well, from Saturday onwards. So look out for it. It's called The Greatest Game. And here's a little quote at the start of the film from Ben Stokes about dealing with pressure. I've always said that people in sport, if they say they're not nervous about a big occasion, they're just talking out their ass. Thanks for listening. We'll speak to you on Saturday. Podcast Network. Hello, it is Ryan, and I was on a flight the other day playing one of my favorite social spin slot games on chumbacasino.com. I looked over the person sitting next to me, and you know what they were doing? They were also playing Chumba Casino. Coincidence? I think not. Everybody's loving having fun with it. Chumba Casino is home to hundreds of casino style games that you can play for free anytime, anywhere even at 30,000 feet. So sign up now at chumbacasino.com to claim your free welcome bonus. That's chumbacasino.com and live the chumba life. No purchase necessary. BGW. Void. we prohibited by law. See terms and conditions. 18 plus.